It's nice to be here again. Nice to see everybody. We are going to talk today about probably one of the most important chapters in the scriptures, I believe. It's uh, in the book of Daniel, and, and the book of Daniel is one of the most fascinating books in the Bible, I believe. It's, um, it's so rich that it's almost impossible to get everything out of uh, the book. You know, you, you can, we, we can go through this book, and we can go through this book again and again, and every time we'll get something new. Uh, the, the, the level of depth is astonishing, and every time I go through Daniel, uh, I uh, sort of, I, I really shocked to the amount of detail we can get. Uh, it's also probably one of the most difficult uh, books to, to speak from, and so I don't know why I've chosen it, but uh, I've chosen to speak from the book of Daniel because, uh, as I think, it, it's, it's so beneficial to us, and uh, it opens so many avenues that uh, I think we, we all have to, to go through that and, and understand the book of Daniel uh, in order to understand the times that we live in as well, because it does reflect on that. So I've uh, chosen to go through, uh, of course I cannot do the whole book, but uh, I've chosen chapter 7. So you can turn with me to chapter 7. And uh, chapter 7, the book of Daniel, is uh, probably one of the most prophetic chapters in the Old Testament. Yeah, very few chapters have so much condensed into one chapter. You're probably familiar with it, you've probably read it a few times uh, in the past. And uh, it is a chapter which uh, goes through the whole history of the human race, really. That's what it is. It's, uh, if you take the world history, condense it, assess, put it in a ball, throw it in the room, this is chapter seven. Yeah, you don't need anything else, the whole, the whole history of the world. So the book of Daniel is really, to understand that the book of Daniel is divided into two main parts. There, are, there is the historical part, which is from chapter 1 to 6. So you read all the famous stories of Daniel uh, in the lion's den, uh, all the interactions of Daniel. And uh, this is really the, the, the historic bit of the book of Daniel. And the second part is the uh, more prophetic part of the book of Daniel. It starts from chapter 7 uh, to chapter uh, 12. Now, before we carry on, before we start going deeper into it, uh, let's uh, just have a, a quick prayer again. Father, we pray that uh, you'll bless uh, this word again, that uh, you'll support us in understanding your word and open it up to us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So uh, the timing of uh, chapter 7 uh, is probably historically between chapter 4 and chapter 5. So if you look at the book of Daniel, chapter 4 and chapter 5, um, this is the, the transition between uh, Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Belshazzar, who was uh, one of the last uh, rulers of Babylon. And as you remember, in uh, chapter 5, he sees the uh, writing on the wall, I think, and uh, then the, the kingdom was taken from him. Yeah? He, he could see that uh, God said, this is your time is up, basically, mate. You have sinned against God. You refused to listen to me. Uh, your father was uh, obedient. He 
was made uh, to worship God. Remember that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was uh, uh, really offensive to God, and God said, you know, because you are like that, I'll make you like an animal, and you'll go and eat grass for seven years, and you come back, you'll worship me. So God had a, a really interesting way of humbling Nebuchadnezzar and making sure that he knows. But obviously his son, well, he wasn't exactly his son. He was more of a grandson, actually, uh, Belshazzar. He was related to him. Um, knew all that and he ignored it. So God said, you know, that's it. Your, your kingdom will be taken away from you and will be given to the Persians. So in this chapter, uh, Daniel, it's, as I say, it's between, it's uh, before that kind of vision. And it's uh, before Daniel was even thrown into the lion's den, yeah? But it's after his friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the um, furnace, as you remember, yeah? So he is, he is not that. So, so it's, it, the chapter starts with um, basically the, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions in his head while he was in bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. So this is quite sort of common opening. Daniel, uh, dreams were used a lot by the Lord to communicate. Dreams is a mean of communication uh, um, in the Old Testament. And sometimes even today, you know, uh, many people came to the Lord through God revealing himself to them in dreams. You can hear it especially in many Muslim countries. Many people actually uh, who have never heard about Jesus saw Jesus in the dream and uh, he revealed himself to, to them. So dreams were a means of communication that God uses uh, often uh, to direct us. So uh, Daniel obviously uh, dreamt at a dream. Let's read uh, verses two and three. What did he dream about? Daniel uh, spoke saying, I saw in my visions by night and behold the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. So what does he see? He sees the great sea. What is the great sea? So really the, the, the great sea is traditionally in scriptures in the Old Testament is, is the, the Mediterranean Sea, or uh, described as the sea of the, on, in the west. So if you, if you think about Israel, Israel is located on the east of the Mediterranean. And uh, Israel has the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee, and the Great Sea, the Great Sea, what we know as the Mediterranean. So this is on the sort of west coast of Israel. So if you go along the Israeli coast, you'll see the Great Sea. And this is the Mediterranean. However, some interpreters, and I'm just sharing it because some people say that, because then you need to know that, say that the Great Sea could be referring to the nations, to the nations of the world. Now, chapter 7, the focus of chapter 7 is really the history of the Gentile world, but through the eyes of Israel, through the Jewish eyes. And this is why some interpreters will say that, well, it refers to the Gentile nations, really, yeah? And the, and, the water, and the waters are, are really uh, the people of the Great Sea. The Great Sea is the Great Sea of Nations. Now, this is possible because this is referred to as well in scriptures, and both are valid uh, so, uh, interpretations, but it doesn't change much the meaning, whichever way you go, of what we're about to read, really. 
Now the four beasts are coming out of the sea. Now this is quite frightening, isn't it? If you had a dream like that, I think you would, you would prefer to wake up. But obviously uh, Daniel didn't. And he saw this uh, sort of amazing scene of beasts moving out of the sea. Now, uh, the whole scene seems to be sort of very um, ominous, I would say. It's cold. You can see a really stormy sea. It's, it, it's a sign of trouble. Something is going to happen. These beasts are rising out of the sea. This doesn't really look great, doesn't it? So let's, let's read further. The first one was like a lion and had an eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Okay, let's, let's sort of stop here, really. A lion with eagle's wings. Now, this uh, is obviously describing Babylon. Yeah, Babylon was uh, the sign of Babylon was a lion and it had uh, eagle's wings. And how do we know that? Because we have historical um, facts. And if you go to the British Museum, you can actually um, see the sort of uh, gates of Ishtar. I don't know if anybody has seen that. There is a huge gate in the British Museum if you go through this uh, section, which is, by the way, one of the most amazing sections. I think everybody should go to the British Museum because there is a huge, dis huge display which actually proves that the Bible is true. You can see the links of the Bible verses against all the artifacts, including lots of historical facts that are, dis is dis are described in the 1 Kings 14, 15, 16, the kings of Israel. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing exhibition. I mean, you need to go and, and see that. But the gates of Ishtar are, are really, really tall gates. They're like probably about five, six meters high. And that sort of, I don't know if you remember, it's like bluish, uh, bluish description. And you can see lions and you can see eagles' wings there. So we know certainly this was the sign of, uh, symbol of Babylon. Yeah? So uh, that's what uh, many people believe. Now, the description here, we have a parallel in the scripture as well in, for this description. And this is in Daniel chapter 2. If You don't have to go there, but I, I don't know if you remember the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar with the statue. Yeah, there's the dream with the big statue, and the statue uh, was a really weird statue which had like a head of gold. It had arm and chest of silver. And then he had, he had a sort of a belly, and the top part of his legs were made of uh, copper and the rest was made of iron, and the toes were sort of combination of iron and clay. I don't know if you remember that, yeah? Now, the descriptions we are getting here are pretty similar. So obviously, uh, we're describing four kingdoms, and, uh, and I think when, when God repeats something, we need to listen. God has repeated this in two different ways. The first way was a, a human way, because this was the view of Nebuchadnezzar, yeah? And this way, this is, God's way giving it to, to Daniel from his uh, perspective. The two uh, coincide. And if you remember the interpretation again, it was the four kingdoms. So th this one is a, almost a parallel to that. This one is much more detailed. Now, the, 
second, uh, uh, there is one more point here. I think it says, let's have a look, see, and different, see. Wings, wings plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Okay, this is interesting. So, obviously, the Babylonian Empire fell very swiftly, as you remember. The, the Persians took over the Babylonian Empire in, in one night, uh, practically. Uh, the way uh, Babylon was built, I don't know if you know the historical fact, and we'll go a little bit into history today, because I think it's really interesting. Uh, it had massive walls. The walls were about 50 foot wide. Now, can you imagine that? This is probably the width from this wall to the entrance to the church. This is the width of the outside wall. It was so huge. It had towers everywhere. It had sealed gates. It was practically impregnable. Now, this was the outside wall. Then they built another wall on the inside. So even if you breach the first wall, you have to go through the second wall, which wasn't as, as thick, but it was very difficult uh, uh, to breach. Yeah? So what the uh, Persians did, what happened that night, because remember the, the, the feast of Belshazzar, they were all drunk. The guards were, they, they were so confident in the, in the walls that they didn't even put guards on the walls. They said, well, the walls, nobody can breach the walls anyway. So what's happened, actually, the gates, they left, I think, the outside gates open, and, uh, but the inside gates were locked. So the Persians, Persian army went straight through, and what they did, they were very clever, they dug under the wall. So the foundations were not deep enough to protect. So what they did, they started digging under the wall, and they went straight under the wall, and basically, they had almost had no resistance. They were all drunk, they were all shocked, they didn't know what's happened, and that's how Babylon fell, exactly as God predicted. Now, he's describing that it was also um, at the heart of man was given to him, to stand uh, on his feet like a man. This refers again to, remember the scene that I said, that he ate grass for seven years? and became a man again, because God says, well, now you're not a beast anymore, you're back being a man. So he's given him back the, the heart of man. And I think uh, this is certainly an indication of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. So let's carry on. Let's go through that. Uh, and suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth, its, in its teeth, between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Now this is the Persian Empire. Why it is, what is the bear? The bear is really a heavy animal. It's a crushing animal. It comes and it, you know, bears can jump on you and grab you, but they're not super fast, are they? They're sort of a bit clumsy, aren't they? The way they walk and the way they go, but, but they're, they're quite um, intimidating. If you think about the Persian Empire, the Persian Empire was massive. It was the, probably the biggest Persian empire ever created, uh, size-wise. But it had a massive army. I think the Persian army was over a million men, I think, at, at one time. It was one of the, the greatest armies of the ancient world. Um, it was a, an amazing empire. So it was described as a bear, yeah? Now, it's raised on one side, it says here, yes? It's raised on one side. The reason it's raised on one size, side is be, because, uh, remember, the Persian Empire was made of 
two nations, the Medes and the Persians. Now, at this time when we are reading this, the, the Persians have already taken over the Medes. So it was initially a sort of agreement between them. The Persians were the stronger nation, and they uh, overcome the Medes and are in full control now of uh, Babylon, really. So that's why you get this sort of standing on one side. One side is stronger than the other. Yeah, and uh, we see that uh, also as in, in chapter 8, we'll see, uh, you, you can read later, but a ram, and the ram is a description of the Persian Empire with two horns, again, describing the Medes and the Persians as well. So the third empire, after that, we'll go to this for the third one. Okay, now before we move on, the three ribs, if you read the three ribs, people sometimes ask, what are the three ribs? Uh, there's no, it's not, it's not obvious answer about the three ribs, but uh, some think it's the, it's the conquest of the Persian Empire. So they conquest uh, Babylon, Mid and Lydia, which was really Turkey of today. So imagine the Persian Empire was so vast, it was uh, moving west and it conquered all of Turkey as well. It was uh, such a, a big empire. Verse 6, after this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back wings of a bird, and the beast also had four heads, and domination was given to it. Right, this is almost obvious here. What is a leopard? A leopard is a very sort of swift animal. It's not the fastest animal. The cheetah is faster, substantially faster than a leopard, but uh, the leopard can jump six meters, and if you knew that, Leopold can stand here and jump six meters all the way to, to grab its prey. It can look. His bite, the bite of the leopard, is one of the strongest bites of, in the animal kingdom. It will not let go. So this is obviously describing the next empire, which is the Greek empire. And I'm sure everybody has heard about Alexander the Great. You know, all of us have heard about this, him. Now, Alexander the Great was one of the most amazing characters in history. He was the son of uh, William II, King of Greece. And when William died, Alexander took over the kingdom. He was only 20 years old when he took over the kingdom. He has already commanded, for about two years before that, he commanded parts of the Greek army. He was trained in, uh, I don't know if you know, the Greeks were training uh, boys in military tactics from a very young age. When I say young age, I mean six, seven. They started training them uh, how to use a sword, how to use uh, weapons. To, so when they got to the age of 15, 16, they were already fully trained men, practically. They could fight. So Alexander has already won a few battles for his dad. Uh, and then he started, decided to expand his uh, kingdom. As, as you remember, I've just mentioned that Lydia, which is Turkey, was uh, conquered by the Persians, by the Persian Empire, and was next to Greek. And, and obviously, the Greeks starting um, annoying the Persians, started really testing the defenses of the Persians. And if you remember in Esther, the king uh, Xerxes a few times left and came back to fight the Greeks. This was a very... Uh, Sort of similar, you can correlate history here. He was quite annoyed and he was, when he came back and he was defeated by the, the Greeks. So Alexander also was a, a genius a military commander. 
his tactics were amazing. He could use a much smaller army and defeat a large army. Now, the Persian army was a very cumbersome army, very big. It relied on, on power and strength. It wasn't a sort of an agile, flexible army, and the Greeks used uh, that to their advantage and basically eventually defeated the Persian Empire completely and subdued it. Now, if you turn with me to chapter 8, we'll read just two verses in chapter 8, which uh, relate to that. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which had been standing beside the river, and ran into him with furious power. So this is describing Alexander's army attacking the Persian Empire. Now, he was so swift that within nine years, he, he conquered uh, the whole of the Persian Empire, expanded all the way to India, and uh, became probably the most successful military leader in history. He was 29 at the time when he controlled the whole world, practically a known world. He then died of uh, some kind of um, food poisoning, I think. He ate something and he was ill and he, and he died. But chapter 8 is really interesting because it has, it has connotation to Israel. Because uh, when Alexander Mogdon, Alexander the Great, arrived at Jerusalem, the priests in Jerusalem came out from the wall. They came out with white robes, they opened the gate, they walked to him and wanted to have a conversation with him. So, of course, his military commander said, well, it's an opportunity, let's take the city, just open the gates. It's an easy take, isn't it? He said, no, stop. So he asked him to wait, and he walked and to the priest. He said, what are you doing? He said, well, I had a dream. And in the dream, I've seen this dream years ago of the priest coming to me, speaking to me. So he spoke to them. And what they did, they opened the book of Daniel. Now, we are talking about... Um, Historically, at around 332 BC, that's when Alexander the Great took power. He died in uh, 323 BC. So uh, it's sometimes between these periods. So they opened the book and they've shown him the scripture we've just read, by the way. So Alexander has just seen the scriptures and he looked with amazement and said, I had a similar dream that I'm going to conquer the earth, that God is going to give me the whole earth. And um, he was shocked when he saw the book of Daniel and said, yes, I can see the prophecy talking about me. Now, remember that this was written 200 years before that. Yeah? Daniel was written at around 5, uh, before 532 BC, probably. So this is literally 200 years before prophesied with amazing precision. Yeah, and Alexander was so impressed that he said, we're going to leave Jerusalem alone. And that's why Jerusalem was not conquered immediately by Alexander the Great. So now you know the background, which is quite an interesting one. So we have the four heads. What, what do you think the four heads are? What's happened to uh, Alexander's empire? When he died, they asked him, when he was on his deathbed, they asked him, what shall we do? Who shall we give the kingdom to? He said, give, give it to the stronger. Well, it's a great way of managing it, isn't it? Yeah, just give it to the stronger. So um, 
what happened, he had four generals. The four generals took control of, over the, the Greek empire, and it was divided into four different parts. You had Greek and Macedonia, controlled by uh, Cassander, Asia Minor by Antigone, uh, Syria and Babylonia by Seleucus, this area covering Israel as well, and Egypt, Ptolemy. You probably heard about Ptolemy and the, the dynasty that carried on for many years after that, yeah, from Ptolemy. So uh, this is how the empire was uh, divided, and the Bible is so accurate here about that that some people said that Daniel couldn't have been written before the third century BC, because how, how could he know? How could he know? It's so accurate. And if you go to chapter 11 as well, which is probably one of the most, most detailed and complex chapters in, in Daniel, uh, you'll see the accuracy that how Daniel is describing the interactions between the generals. You can hear the, the coming from the north, from the south, attacking, and the battles are described as well in, in absolute accuracy, and we can tie them to history as well, which is unbelievable, isn't it? So now we're coming to a really interesting one. So now we've seen the three kingdoms of the earth. Now we're coming to the fourth kingdom. Now we'll read verse 7 and 8 now. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a force beast dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had a huge iron teeth. It was devouring, uh, breaking pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. It, I considered, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out of the root. And there, in this horn, there were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouse speaking pompous words. So the fourth beast uh, has no description of it at all. It is, um, it doesn't, it's not, it's got no animal associated with it. It seems to be so terrible that uh, Daniel can't find any uh, connotation to describe it, really. Now, turn with me to the book of Revelation. Now, it's going to be Revelation 13, and this is a, a, a chapter which mirrors a lot of the stuff we see in Daniel, actually, yeah? Revelation 13. Now, when people say Revelation is a really difficult book to understand, you need really to look in the Old Testament. You know, Lots of the images in the Revelation are very, very similar to what you see in the prophets. So once you see that, you can, we can correlate scriptures, and the best way to understand scriptures is by scripture. That's the only the best way to interpret scriptures. Not take it out of context, but find similar stuff in the scriptures, and the Bible interprets itself. Yeah, you, you, it's much easier. We'll read the first two verses. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a feet of a bear, and his mouth was the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. How similar this is. Amazing. You can read the Old Testament, you can read the New Testament, and they all make sense. 
yeah, yeah together. So the force-based. Well, the force-based, we're going back to, we see, teeth of iron. It seems to be extremely terrible. It's very different, it's very strong, and it's trampling. And we have the same iron, feet of iron in the description in chapter 2 of Daniel, of the statues, you remember. This is very, very similar to that. This feet of iron are describing the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire were not, used to be known as the Empire of Iron. They were really, really strong, ruthless. The, the Roman Empire took over what's left of the Greek Empire, probably rising at around the, the second, third century BC, probably around 250, 260, when they started uh, expanding. And like any empire, they're only expanding to ensure security and safety, yes? That's the only reason the, the Roman Empire claimed they're going to conquer other countries, just to protect themselves. It's a protective measure, yeah? So, uh, but using these protective measures, they conquered practically the whole of the Mediterranean, North Africa. The Roman Empire got to its peak at around the first century, probably between the first and second century, uh, where uh, it, it was uh, the biggest empire of the time. And it was a mighty empire. Nobody could defeat the Roman troops. The Roman troops were practically undefeatable. You could not win against a, a well-organized Roman army. They developed tactics uh, which were very, very advanced. Uh, and they defeated every nation that tried to, to rebel and subdued them. So this is the false beast. Yeah. So the force, and, and this doesn't, this seems to be really um, puzzling. Why? Because there's nothing after that. All we get is that the force beast had some teeth, yes, and horns. And then we get the ten horns, which are really similar to the ten toes we see in chapter two, yeah? In chapter two we see the ten toes of the statue. And these ten horns are, seems to be grow, to grow, and then another horn seems to come out, but three seem to be plucked out. And this seems to be almost, uh, the little horn seems to rise very gradually, taking over three horns, almost consolidating them, and then almost taking over the ten horns and becomes very, very powerful. Let's look at Revelation 13 again, and go to, to verse 5. Verse 5, Revelation 13. And he was given a mouth speaking great things, and a blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. Blasphemy against his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So what could it be, this little horn that we, we see, that we, we read about? Again, the Bible repeats this theme a few times. We get it in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, get in Daniel in Revelation 13. This little horn, we believe, is the, what is known as the Antichrist. Funnily enough, 
it's not mentioned as the Antichrist. Uh, based on the description, we should call it Big Mouse, because it seems just to talk a lot. That's what it seems. Yeah? For me, I would call him just Big Mouse. He just doesn't stop talking. <laughs> yeah, That's what he does. Uh, now, he doesn't talk nice things. He's obviously an individual here. And there are ten kingdoms and three kingdoms being controlled. Now, when the European Union had ten kingdoms, people, ten uh, members, people always used to say this was years ago, I think, in the 80s or 70s. Oh, this must be the ten kingdoms that uh, the Antichrist will rise from and will subdue. Now, it's true that it's very likely to rise from Europe. The reason is because this is a continuation of the Roman Empire. What is described here is a continuation of the Roman Empire. And many people uh, saw the sort of papacy or the, the Catholic Church as the spiritual part of it that is driving it as well. But uh, at the moment, we don't know where it's going to rise, but it's very likely to rise. Uh, the Bible, we know the Bible is true. And if the, the Romans, Roman Empire, according to the scriptures, has never really properly ended, it's almost faded into history. And, uh, and we are still in the period now of the fourth kingdom. And they're not going to be other kingdoms. The next kingdom is going to be the kingdom of God. Yeah, so we're in transition between that. Now, this individual seems to blaspheme, to be very blasphemous. He's uh, cursing God. He's cursing his name. His tabernacle. And those who dwell in heaven. This is quite amazing, isn't it? Why would he curse those who dwell in heaven? Who dwells in heaven? Now, there are lots of um, interpretations of that. But based on the theme, how the Antichrist persecutes people, he attacks the church, attacks anything to do with God, there is, I won't make a sort of a full doctrine out of that, but there is a possibility that he is cursing uh, the church, really. Because this probably after we've already been taken out in the rapture to heaven. So he's cursing. He knows because he's been given the power of the beast. Remember? Who is the beast? The beast is the devil. It's very clear in Revelation. So he was given the power of the beast on earth. He's, he's almost a, the manifestation of the devil on earth. And he knows that saint, the saints are in heaven. Lots of saints are in heaven already. So he's not happy with that, because he cannot subdue them. So this is uh, one option, that uh, this is why he's cursing us. Now, I'll take a slightly different approach to how we deal with the chapter. We won't uh, carry on uh, beyond uh, chapter, uh, verse 8, but we'll jump, we'll jump to verse 19, actually. We'll jump to verse 19. The reason, because it's the same theme. So I don't want to swap too many times. It gives us the same context. Then we'll come back if we have time to, for, to the other themes. As I say, it's quite difficult. It's a, we could easily spend two hours in chapter 7 here. Not, not a problem. So verse 19. And we'll read until verse 25. Then I wished to know the truth about the false beast. So Daniel... He's puzzled because he saw the other base, it's very clear, but this one he just can't define. So he's totally puzzled. Which was different from all the other. 
exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue in its feet, and the ten holes, horns that were on his head, and the other horns which uh, came, other horns that came out before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was made in favor of the saints and the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are the ten kings who shall arise from the kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first one, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for time, times, and half a time. We've got a huge amount of stuff here, but uh, this will try and break it down so it's a, a underst- more understandable. So, to start with, he gets an interpretation. So, he's, 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 Daniel is standing there and he's, he's probably seeing some angels. Uh, it could be also, which we didn't, we didn't read it, but there are the elders sitting on the throne there as well, you can see. It's very likely to be an angel that is, is sort of approaching and is asking, uh, basically, oh, well, can you explain to me, because I don't have a clue what this means. I understand the first three beasts, but what are the, what are the other beasts? He wasn't really, he was focused immediately on the fourth one. Have you noticed? He didn't ask what was, what's the leopard or the, the bear, or he said, well, what is the fourth one? This is the most terrifying one. So he's getting an explanation, a clearer explanation, saying, well, this is absolutely kingdom. This is a man who is going to persecute the, the saints. That's what he's going to do. And he's describing it in detail. Now, let's look a little bit about the character of uh, the Antichrist. He's known also as the man of sin. in the, And uh, or the, we should really call him the coming world leader. That's what he is, yeah? He's the coming world leader. Now, what kind of world leader is he going to be? First, we can see he's probably going to be the most compelling speaker in history. This is constantly repeated here. He's, he's a great demagogue, I would say. Yes, he can, he can take people with words like nobody has ever done before. And this brings back the memories of Hitler. We say how Hitler controlled, he got all the German nation behind him just by, by speech, by propaganda, by uh, words. Similar to Mussolini in many ways, how Mussolini did it, in many ways, getting the Italian people behind him. But this one is going to top them all. It's going to be a combination of these two plus much more. And everybody's going to be compelled by him. It's obvious that he's not in favor of God. He's absolutely blasphemous is uh, eliminating any references to God, is is blaspheming God. This means that uh, worship will be curtailed. 
during his period. You, you won't be able to go to church or worship God. He's not for that at all. His kingdom is probably one of the greatest kingdoms ever made. I mean, he's going to take all over the whole world. Can you imagine that? Taking over the whole world. Everybody, every nation will subdue to him and accept him. Now, it says that he's going to change times and laws. And this is really interesting because uh, the word literally means also religion. The word dat in Hebrew. So this is the Aramaic is dat. Dat is taken into Hebrew from Aramaic and it uh, means religion. It's uh, often uh, been translated as times and law. So he's going to change times. This meaning probably what we celebrate, what we do, how things work, we don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit mysterious. But I, I was sort of locked into the word dot and judgment because obviously it's linked to religion. And uh, it's, it seems like his kingdom will be, have an intertwining factor of religion as well. And um, this is more to do with the way the Antichrist kingdom is going to be established. Uh, it's uh, probably going to have what we call three legs, uh, political, financial, and religious. Yeah? The interesting bit that we see stuff already happening today, being set up towards that. Now he will have uh, economic power. He'll be able to control the economy. He'll be able to control whatever you do. And when we talked about it 20 or 30 years ago, you would say, you're crazy. How can one person can control what I do or buy? I can always get to the cash point and get some money out and just go to the shop and buy. But you know, now they're talking about eliminating cash. Even now, some shops will not take cash anymore. They say, well, cards only, please. Now they're talking about replacing our currency with digital currency. You hear that a lot in the last uh, 18 months. Obviously, the recent crisis, COVID crisis, has been used dramatically to try and change things and move things in that direction. Now, if everything is in a chip or is in a, in a patch or something on, on your body or somewhere else, I can control it, yeah? If the money is electronic and you don't have money, you go to a shop, and I don't like you, so well, you can't shop. Or you can only buy uh, this food, but you can't buy this. You can only buy one kilogram of flour, but not more than that. And after that, it's, we get this red blip, boop, no, refused, yeah? It's refused, you're not allowed, you're out of credits. This will be the economical side of things. The political side will be uh, a political structure that he will control, because all the nations will uh, join him. We hear a lot now about global government. We all have to act together, you remember, to avert future crisis, don't we? We don't want another COVID crisis. We don't want another um, a situation like that. But the most amazing thing is that what we've seen in the last 18 months is how the whole world reacted in exactly the same way. Now, this is not normal. You know, you expect one country will have their own regulation. Well, we're not going to do that. We're going to do that. 
The only exception were like, I think, two countries. But everybody has reacted in the same way. Everybody said, that's the way we're going to do it. We're going to join together. We're going to work together. Now, if they can do it in such a sm- for such a small crisis, imagine what's, what's going to happen in the future. It's very easy for the whole world now to operate together. Yeah? How do we do that? They're all joined together. So we thought, oh, there's no way you can ever persuade the whole world to act in the same way. And what we've watched with amazement in the last 18 months is exactly what's happened. And how quickly has it happened? Now, if we talked about this, if I would have done this in 2019 and told you this would happen, you'd say, oh, this is really prophetic. I mean, it's way, it's too out of line. There's no way it's going to happen this way, yeah? But it shows us how quickly things, prophecy can be fulfilled, yeah? It doesn't have to be a specific timeline that we have to wait. It can be fulfilled immediately. So he's going to change times and laws. So he will be in full control. Whatever he says will happen. Now, there is an interesting sentence that says that he's going to make war with the saints. Going to make war with the saints. So what saints he's going to make war with? Now, there are a few options here. And if you read the original language, it's a bit more subtle. Uh, in uh, here, it says he's going to make war with holy ones. Literally, yes, that's what it says. However, the punctuation of the word im, which is with in Hebrew, was added to scriptures later. Remember, it's not the the original Hebrew scripts. If you read it, don't have punctuation. The same spelling is used for the word nation as well. Exactly the same spelling. Im, am, is nation. Yeah? Funnily enough, in Daniel 8, 24, if you go there, have a quick look. It says, he will destroy also the holy people, doesn't it? The word used there is am. So we don't, we're not sure whether this was added or was changed, but the holy ones, and in the context we are reading here, that he's persecuting them, I believe is the Jewish people, because this ties to the 70, 70 weeks of Daniel in chapter 9, the seventh week which is missing. Remember, the church has been ruptured before the Great Tribulation. The church is not here. There are saints on earth, and he's actually described also persecuting. Above he says he'll persecute the saints of the Most High. So there is persecution of anybody who follows Jesus, but there is specific persecution of the Jewish people. And this is done. Why do we think so? Because it says he will prevail over them. Have you seen that? Hasn't it bothered you? Can you think the Satan will prevail over the saints? He will prevail over them. Now, if you remember in Matthew, I think chapter 16, uh, Jesus speaks to Peter and he says, uh, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not, shall not prevail. So are we having a conflict in the scriptures here? How can, if the gates of hell will not prevail, how can the Antichrist prevail over the saints? He cannot prevail over the saints, yeah? can subdue them, but this is mentioned twice. 
Now in the context, he says in verse uh, 25, then the saints shall be given into his hand, and this really interprets it, because it says for time, times, and a half a time. Now, this is very much of a Hebrew structure, or a make structure, because in English we don't have this kind of structure. The only word that we know in English that you say, uh, a word which describes two things, is both, yeah? You say both, yeah? I want both, yeah? What do you want? Steak, chicken, I want both, yeah? So uh, that's what, uh, that's the word that described in English, in Hebrew. In English we don't, uh, we don't um, have that. In Hebrew you have it quite a lot, yeah? So you can have the, the word a year, shana, okay? two years, shna time. Yeah, it's very common to say that. So time, times, and time and a half. So here it says idan, idanim. This is the word used uh, in the ancient uh, scripture. So this means a year, two years, and half a year. Yeah, that's what it says. So what is it? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Now, when the Antichrist rises, so we need some background here, the Antichrist is going to rise for a period of seven years. That's what the, the, the Bible tells us. And this is another study in Daniel 9, probably. But he's going to rise for seven years. And uh, he is going to try and uh, sort of almost work with the Jewish people, with the Jewish nation. He's going to allow them probably to establish the worship. The temple is described in scripture. But then he's going to turn against them halfway through the tribulation. And he's going to persecute them for three and a half years. And these are the three and a half years that you see here. Yeah? So how do we know that? If uh, you turn with me to Revelation 13.5 again. And he was given a mouse speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Three and a half years, 42 months? Interesting. Revelation 11.2. For it's been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city under the foot for 42 months. Bible is pretty consistent, isn't it? Yeah? And then, if we go to Daniel 12, go back to Daniel with me, go to Daniel 12. Verse 7. Then I heard the man, it's another vision of Daniela by the river. I heard the man clothed in linen, was above the waters of the river, and he held up his right hand and left hand in heaven and swore to him, will live forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completed, completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Yeah? And then in verse 11, he says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, this is when the Antichrist stops them, says halfway through the tribulation, you can't use the temple anymore, and attacks them, taken away, 
what does it say? There shall be 1,290 days. What is it? If you calculate it, it's actually 42.4 months. Exactly. So, when people say, this is, well, they can't be talking about that. It can't be seven years. It can't be, all, well, Bible is repeating this about four or five times consistently, cross-referencing it with different ways of, of, of saying the same thing, yeah? It's, it's practically me telling you, well, you're going to travel tomorrow to Birmingham. It's going to be 150 miles journey. And then somebody comes as well. You're going to travel to Birmingham and it's uh, going to be probably 280 kilometers, something like that, yes? So 250 kilometers. It's the same thing. It's a different currency. Or it's going to be 250,000 meters, yeah? So you just reconcile the, all of this. Well, it's all talking about the same thing, isn't it? Yeah? So we know that that's what's going to happen. That's what God is going to do. So it's a good chance when he's talking about the holy, the people who have been overcome by the Antichrist, he's talking about the nation of Israel at the time, who will be scattered. And if you read other, other scriptures, you'll see that they, two thirds have been actually killed. As a result of that, a third will escape, will be refined, go to the desert, disappear. And when Jesus comes back later with his holy saints, this is us, by the way, yeah, to establish his kingdom, they will repent and they will accept him as their Messiah. Because this is the main purpose of the seven year of tribulation, really. So this is, we get a glimpse into that here in, in chapter 7 of Daniel. Now, another thing that the, the Antichrist has, and this is really important, you can see it in Revelation 13.2, he has Satan's power, throne, and authority. This is quite frightening, isn't it? Power, throne, and authority. So he has the full power of Satan on the earth. It also says there, we won't read that, that he is not distracted by women. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to... Uh, people interpreted this as he's not, uh, he's not straight, basically, that he, he likes men or something like that. But this is not actually what the scriptures are saying. The scriptures are saying he's so focused on what he's doing that he, he doesn't want anything to disturb him. He doesn't see the, any interaction with women as, as important as doing what he's doing, controlling the world and serving Satan. Remember, Satan doesn't want anybody to be disturbed by anything else, what he's trying to do. Because Satan knows that... Um, he, he is going to be defeated. Some will say that the Antichrist is of Jewish origin as well. This is because he will not, uh, he talks, I think, in uh, the scriptures that he will not understand, uh, he won't understand uh, the gods of his fathers. I think it's in Daniel eleven twenty-eight. We can briefly look at that. Eleven twenty-eight. Is it or is I'm wrong here? Or it could be Daniel eleven twenty eight thirty seven. Yes, so it's actually verse thirty eight, eleven thirty eight, and the God which his fathers did not know. Yeah. So basically, he doesn't like, he will turn away from the gods of his fathers. 
this is debatable. It's, it could be of Jewish origin or some kind of uh, Jewish relation. Because obviously for the people of Israel to accept him as a, initially in the beginning, beginning of the tribulation as sort of Messiah or sort of Messiah, he needs to have some kind of Jewish connection. But we are not sure. But the God of his fathers could be referring to the religious part of the Antichrist kingdom, which is a one world religion, isn't it? And we can see that today again, everything is culminating into one. It's quite possible that this is what it refers to that the, even the Jewish people will accept the one world religion and uh, will turn away from God completely. Uh, we see today that uh, Israel of today is not a God-following nation, no doubt about that. It's a very secular nation. And uh, there will be a time when they will turn to God. But right now, it's a secular country. It follows the, the trends of the world. You can see it. We've seen it in the last uh, 18 months as well. He's joining the, the ways of the world. And, uh, of course, uh, God is aware of that. But uh, he brought them together to the land, and he will keep them there until his plan will be fulfilled. Okay. How am I doing on time? Fifty-five minutes already. Okay, so um, we won't go to the next section. There's a whole section that I want to talk about, so I will probably uh, summarize where we are now. So what we are seeing here, I think, is quite amazing. We are seeing the whole history of the world culminating into sort of this narrow tunnel of the revived Roman Empire, which is uh, led by a figure called the Antichrist. What, how does it apply to us as Christians? I think it's got huge application to us, simply because the time is short. Now, with prophecy, what you find that the closer you get to the fulfillment, the clearer it becomes. It's a bit like you're driving and you know, you see the city from the distance. You just see blurred houses and big buildings. As you get closer, you can see more and more. Yeah, you can see the other oh, blocks of flats. Actually, there are people actually in the gardens. And, and prophecy is very much the same. As you get closer to the time of the prophecy to be fulfilled, things will start making sense. Oh, yes, now I know what Daniel was talking about. Now I know what the. Now imagine. People like, I don't know, Martin Luther or other people, Calvin, who read the scriptures, they read all this stuff, and they really don't really understand what he's talking about. Now, Daniel himself didn't understand. In the end of the book of Daniel, he says, what is it about? And says, well, don't worry about it, it's not for you. You're just a channel, basically, now to write it. Yeah, you're a conduit for me to put this stuff down, so if it's for the next generations, you go and rest and in the resurrection of the dead, you will resurrect to glory. But now it's not for you, because I can't really even explain it to you with what your level of understanding. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like if you take somebody from the second century and dropped him here, or third century BC, or first, what do you think will happen? Yeah, you'll be in total shock. Yeah, so he's seeing visions of things he can't even, he doesn't have words in the vocabulary to describe even. Yeah. 
So we're, we, we can understand things. And we can see that the, oh, the technology is now, yes, I can understand how this can, we can be done today. Yes, we can control, we can uh, control the whole world. We control the whole monetary system. Yes, we can see one world religion coming. We can see uh, one world government coming. We can see it, it is possible. It's not there yet, but it's heading towards that. And how quickly it's going to get there, we don't know. Now, this could be a year, two, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, we don't know. The way things are going, no way to predict. Things can go very, very quickly. <coughs> yeah. Now, our, our task here, God has put us here to save as many people as possible, to get as many people as possible to escape the judgment of God. And we didn't talk about the judgment, but it's part of this uh, scripture as well. The world is going, to, is going for judgment, be aware. Once the Antichrist has been removed, and during the period of the Antichrist, it's going to be a huge amount of death in the seven years of tribulation, something like the world has never seen. COVID is absolutely nothing compared to what you've seen, what's going to happen, yeah? It's nothing. I mean, you're going to, we're going to have disease and destructions will kill millions, tens of millions will die. Now, we should really be filled with compassion for people. We should really care for people and try and share as much as we can now that the time, the time is short and it's getting shorter and shorter. And the greatest thing you can do is bring people with you to heaven, you know. Because once the rapture has happened, this, is, this world is like the Titanic, yeah? Practically, if you think about it, it's been breached, the hull has been breached, it's just a matter of two and a half hours until it's at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, and this is exactly what happens after the rapture. You know, it's, you're, you're still floating, but that's it. It's not much time left. So now is the time, before we hit the iceberg, to get as many people as possible into the lifeboat. And the lifeboat is knowing Jesus, have eternal life in him, have a new life in him. There's no other way. And if you don't know how to do that, the best way to do it is very simple. You just have to admit that you're a sinner, that uh, Jesus died for your sins. You have to realize that you need to be saved, that you need a, a new life in Jesus, that he is the only one who died for your sins. There's no other way to do that. And once you do that and you pray to God, uh, God will give you a new life in him and you'll be saved. It's very, very simple. It's not difficult. It's not far away. It's closer to anybody. So I think this is really the, the most uh, important take because the next kingdom coming is God's kingdom and we're going to be in it. Yeah, It's going to be our kingdom. We have a lot of stuff to talk about that as well, but we won't talk this time. <laughs> so this is about God's kingdom. And uh, let's, let's aim to share the gospel as much as we can with people. Let's aim to, to try and uh, realize how urgent it is now how urgent it is, and it's really, really urgent. And we can see, we've seen, especially in the last you know, year, what's happening, how things are going. Let us pray. Father, there's so much in this chapter, Lord, and so much more to talk about, Father. And uh, it's so fascinating to learn, to go through the scriptures, Lord. And we pray that uh, you'll encourage us, Lord, that uh, you'll open our understanding to understand 
where things are going and to understand how it can change our lives now. How we can take more people with us, Lord, into heaven. Lord, you do not wish that any should perish, but all should come to knowledge of the truth, Lord. So, Lord, we pray that uh, you'll uh, open opportunities for us to sow the seeds, to enable people to know you and to know you forever, Lord, and to be with you in your kingdom, Father. Lord, we pray that um, you will help us during the week. You will uh, be with us, that our faith will be working faith, not just in church, but every day of the week we will live for you, Lord, that you'll live in us and drive us in whatever we do. This applies to our colleagues at work. This applies to our family, applies to our neighbors, and anywhere we go, Lord. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.